Welcome to From Nor to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a graduate student in education. And with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. Part of the act of philosophizing is looking at typical things in atypical ways in order to deconstruct what they are and what they mean. Have you ever seen an enormous dog meekly obey a small owner? Have you ever looked at your money and wondered what gave it value? Have you ever listened to a philosophy podcast and wondered where they got their information and if it's accurate? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you've questioned authority. While that phrase may hold negative connotations elsewhere, it is the cornerstone of what we're trying to do here. All right, so authority. Um, I think this one's going to be a bit of an interesting topic because it sort of applies to um, all parts of our life, right? <laughs> There's, you can't really talk about much of anything without trying to determine where um, the source of of the authority comes from. So what is authority? How would we define it? Well, I'm thinking of all the, the multitude of different things to which it refers. I mean, uh, for me, as an academic uh, and, and someone who has seen this being shredded across our culture, authority of uh, refers to knowledge. It refers to the accuracy of what is known at any particular time, which is not to say that knowledge can't change. Of course it does. So uh, science has authority, but we know that science is both inductive and deductive, but often inductive, which means that a conclusion is probably going to be right until new information comes in. Or it is right until a new, uh, new information comes in. So there's an authority of knowledge. So we would talk about a, a doctor's authority. We want uh, we want a doctor to know certain things. Otherwise, why would we go to a doctor? Well, we have people backing away from trusting medical knowledge now, which is devastating potentially to the entire uh, planet. All right, then we have political authority. And, and social authority, political authority having to do with who leads a state, as in a government, uh, social authority as in who uh, creates the rules, who enforces the rules, and why are those rules uh, assumed to be set in stone when, in fact, life changes. So there's, there's all kinds of levels. There's a phenomenological authority. You encounter something in the outside world. We talked about this last week. How we encounter it. Does that exist? And we, but let's assume that it does for a moment. How do you encounter that? What is the authority of that experience? If I, if I see a, a Letchworth Park gorge, I'm going to have a reaction to it, even if I've seen it before. But the fact of that gorge existing is set literally in stone, except that the stone keeps shifting and the shale keeps falling. And so the authority shifts. Right. Yeah, that last one's real interesting. Um, and I'm sure we'll circle back to that by the end of the episode. Those first two, um, that's kind of the big question of authority and philosophy, right? Is um, sort of theoretical authority versus practical authority. And what's funny to me about that is that, you know, reading and doing research for the show, yeah. they seem to attempt to draw a distinction between them. And um, I'm 
I'm wondering why, <laughs> you know, like you have, all right, theoretical authority. That's, that's kind of what you were talking about with doctors and, and um, teachers and this sort of thing. People who have um, spent a good amount of their lives dedicated to a certain field, um, learning certain knowledge. And so they're, they're looked at as able to dispense advice for individuals, um, but they're not really looked at as able to um, influence people's actions. And then you have practical authority, which is um, associated with the political realm where, you know, they're not, they're not going at a theoretical level. They're not giving you advice. They're saying, okay, um, you must act this way or um, you can be punished. Or if you act this way, we can give you some sort of incentive. Um, it's carrot and stick sort of thing, right? Yes, yes, behavioral. Um, why do you think it is that the field of philosophy has developed this distinction as opposed to saying the people who are theoretically authoritative um, should have some role in practical authority? Well, I, I think that... The theoretical does have practical role. It's, uh, theoretically, doctors have knowledge in practical terms. Surgeons have knowledge. You don't want to put a scalpel in my hand unless I'm working at paper art. <laughs> okay, but but I don't want somebody who works on paper art and has never uh, worked on a body to open me up. And, and, and so there's a practical application of hard-earned uh, familiarity with knowledge, and I think it's imp- it's philosophically rooted. Uh, whether it's in, uh, it goes back to Aristotle, it goes uh, to Plato, the authority of the leader to Aristotle or the state. Uh, to, uh, Aristotle's the authority of the leader, Plato's the authority of the state, and so on. All up through Hegel, which is the authority of experience and the dialectic. Up, it's it deals with. Epistemology, which we've talked about before, which is how do we know that which we know? How do we come to knowledge? It deals with the ontological, which is what is it that exists? If we assume an authority, like there was, there's a philosopher, Kohevo, uh, who is more recent in the 20th century, who divided authority discussions into four parts, and one of them was theological. The father-based authority, and 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 that is, and then so in the medieval era, so to speak, uh, God had complete authority, and so there was that punitive thing. There was that you don't push back; you just do what what you're told to do by the book and by the the people who <laughs> who have the authority of the book, so to speak. Uh, there's there's the authority of the leader. Uh, which is, is is much more political. There's there's the authority of the judge, who, as as this philosopher points out, wouldn't even be necessary if justice existed in the other kinds of authority, but it often doesn't. So that's why philosophy couldn't help but talk about it because it touches on all of the separate categories or realms within philosophy. Okay. So we have the various ocracies, right? We have theocracies and meritocracies and, yes. and all these different types of things that are now those are 
are systems of of government based around a certain type of authority. But generally what what you just said was that usually several different types of authority exist within a form of government, you know, regardless. Yeah. Um why is authority necessary? Well, I, I, I'm not going to try to put it into a hierarchy, but I mentioned some things, and, and, and I want you to bounce back with this, because without the authority of knowledge, you have people blindly moving about in a universe which, for the most part, we can't understand. It is the authority of probing, experiment, and theory, which takes us to a place where we understand more things around ourselves, even as that understanding changes. Lack of authority creates a false sense of, of complete knowledge. And we have seen that in our culture across these recent years, where people refused to accept the authority of, of doctors because they don't like what they're saying. So they want to get a second opinion. Well, they get a second opinion from somebody who knows nothing about what they're talking about, but I like the way that sounds. So that's what I'm going to go with. So it's the authority of agreeing with you rather than the authority of the, the factuality of things that have, have happened. Hmm. And, and we, we dissociate from that. It's, it's very interesting. And, I, and I'm not, this is not a politicization to say this. This past week, the uh, Dr. Francis Collins, who's in charge of the NIH, who was in charge of the Human Genome Project, who at one point was an atheist and became an evangelical Christian, and then Dr. Fauci, they talked to each other daily. Well, NPR brought them together to have a conversation. They asked him what was the most stunning thing for them in this first first year of the pandemic. And, and both of them said that they were are still deeply troubled, were absolutely, essentially blown away by the disconnect people have from reality and factuality. And the, so the disconnect from, from listening to and being guided by knowledge, hmm. uh, that is a devastating thing. And we have not emerged from that. And I'm not entirely sure we can. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to be optimistic, but I'm not sure. What do you think the root cause of that is? Well, we well, I think there there are plentiful causes, but one of them is is not being so invested in a belief that one has that one will give will not even consider the sources of knowledge, saying, "Well, what you believe is just not quite helpful." You know, you and I have talked about these kind of things before, and very very recently. So it's. It's not that authority knows everything. It's that authority is the best, uh, depending on the topic, the authorities in that topic are the, the best sources from which to work off of, to guide your thinking, not to, to shut your thinking down and let other people tell you what you must think, but rather to guide your thinking. But if you are so invested in a belief that you just can't possibly consider documented facts or or facts that are so-called facts that weren't facts at all have been completely debunked by sources right, left, and center, but you just can't believe that because you don't accept that that's the way the world works, then you have disconnected from reality in, in a sense. 
And if you've got uh, you've got a, a large population anywhere, uh, a, a planetary population that disconnects from the sources of knowledge, then we're back to wandering around, bumping into each other, thinking we know everything or they know everything or whatever it is, and and it's it'll be chaos. Yeah, I think that um, I think you you hit the nail on the head there. I think there's some cognitive biases, and I think that the cognitive biases are um, paired with some level of confirmation bias and also um, just a lack of understanding of the sources of knowledge. Mm-hmm. If you look at how knowledge is exponentially increased in the 21st century, um, it makes you realize that, okay, well, the common person, you know, back, you know, it's probably been several decades, but the, at one point, the common person could understand a, a cause and an effect. What what was what happens, how to stop it. And, and, you know, and that, I think that sort of understanding gave, um, knowledge authorities uh, more, um, credibility in the eyes of the lay person. Mm-hmm. I think now those authorities, the knowledge and the tools needed to understand those knowledge are so far beyond the lay person that the lay person is starting to question whether or not they are truly legitimate. And the problem is, that the lay person is unable to do the due diligence to fully understand it. And so it basically comes down to, are you going to trust the knowledge authorities or are you going to trust your own opinion of the way something goes? And it doesn't matter how little knowledge you have. It's always easier to trust yourself over anybody else (laughs) and your own thing. It is, but, you just gave me an example to go with. Very few people among us act uh, from a distrust of authority, of authority uh, engineering authority, mechanical authority, uh, to the extent that they would feel that they needed to uh, forge their own plastic and metal. First, they'd have to dig it up. They'd have to be able to be their own miners and they'd be their own chemists in order to create a car. Their own, whether it's electric fuel-based or, or oil-based or whatever, their own uh, development of, they'd have to have the authority of all of those things in order to put a car together. And that's just to drive down to the store. Oh, but there's an authority in that too, because after all, we trust that that food sources are being more or less watched over, we assume so much, but because it's transparent, it no longer seems to be about an issue of authority because Mm -hmm. it's just there. (laughs) But I think there's that disconnect again. I don't want (laughs) to. Right, right. And and I think that the big problem is, uh, coming back to that sort of... um, the confirmation bias there is if you choose to say that you know knowledge authorities are, are wrong and that your um your own self-developed theories are right as long as nothing goes wrong you're going to continue to think that your theories are right even if those theories may be going right because of like you said the transparent infrastructure that knowledge authorities have put in place behind the systems that you utilize on a daily basis <laughs> you know so, you know, uh, th- the most common example that I hear of 
most often is um, flat earthers using their GPSs to get to places, right? You know, it's like, okay, well, you know, if the earth was flat, you wouldn't be able, your GPS wouldn't work. You know? uh, and all those different types of things, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's this, um, I think it's the combination of those three things, really, right? Um, if you can't understand, if you can't understand what's going on with the knowledge being created, um, and if you, you know, you have, you choose to believe something and for the most part it works out okay, um, then you really don't have any reason to go against something. Um, but then, you know, there's plenty of stories of people who, whose kids didn't get vaccinated and then somebody dies. Right. But as long as it's not your kid that dies, it didn't, it, it was something else, you know, there's a different. I was just reading an article this week about about this actually because and partly I, I read it because of the how enormously frustrating it is to have so many people disregard flagrantly disregard knowledge and 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 the article writer himself a philosopher was saying okay well we know what that uh, if there is such a thing as human nature it is it is often uh, unlikely to acknowledge anything until a personal event takes place and the trouble with that is it's so remarkably slow oh okay i have a family member die of covid maybe i ought to take this seriously or even then i there was a, a, a couple months back there was a young man who was absolutely blown away flabbergasted because his parent had died of COVID, and he and others had been denying COVID's existence. And and at the funeral, there were a large number of people in the family who refused to wear masks. And he got up at the funeral and said, what is it going to take for you to understand the truth of this? And I think that's a microcosmic example of how we all feel, and probably generations. But knowledge tells us that we may not have plentiful generations, as the planet itself is is being devastated for a climate that is supportive supportive of our kind of life, and and so that slow learning is becoming increasingly deadly <laughs> right. to the species yeah and you know i'm that's what i'm curious to see if that's going to happen over the next several decades is as you know climate disasters and stuff start getting worse mm -hmm. and more people are personally affected if that will change the policy on how we address these sorts of things what kind of authority we give to the opinions because mm -hmm. that's the thing is it's one thing for 97 percent of scientists to say that climate change is real but if your life is continuing as normal then people aren't going to think of it but and, if, and, and if your life continues at normal and, and you but then you're still finding yourself remarking about i mean i hear this daily wow that was a isn't it great it's so nice to have it so warm so, oh, wow, what temperatures these are. Okay, okay we have global warming. Look, we're... <laughs> no. Or we had really intensely cold days this winter. So, yeah, ha-ha, global warming. What, which means that people do not understand the science in the least. 
So even if it's normal, they're not processing. And none of us uh, does this. I'm not saying this from a holier-than-thou perspective. We're human. We refuse to accept some things. But the, but the cumulative effect of that, and here, here is, here's a, we're talking about authority. We need to anticipate that where you and I live right now, uh, Western New York, one, one of the most water-rich places on the planet is going to have hundreds of thousands or more, perhaps millions of people, who are displaced by environmental devastation coming across into our borders to come to have water. How dare we tell them that they can't just because we're lucky enough to live? That's going to be a political authority set of decisions that is going to be remarkably powerful and and politically life-changing. Yeah, so let's... Let's get into that a little bit. Um, the first question would be, do you need power to have authority? No. I, 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 I think not. And, and as you, I've read many different things over the years about the idea of authority. Because it depends on what we mean by power. Mm. Ultimate power? No. <laughs> this Death Star is the ultimate power in the galaxy. Wait, wait, okay, no. The, this master's degree in teaching <laughs> literature is not the ultimate power in the galaxy. But it's still an acknowledgement of an authority. Why do we have titles? A lot of people don't like titles. They don't like degrees, except that they think it'll get them a job. They don't think about necessarily what the degree means or, or give value to it. So many people say, let's just get through this education. Let's just get it behind us. What does that mean? It means I'm probably not paying attention to what I'm doing, <laughs> but I'm going to do enough so that I'll do what they tell me to do so I can get this piece of paper or this digitized document. And it means nothing if you haven't accrued the authority. So, so a, a degree can be meaningless if you haven't done the work to earn the degree, because sometimes you're going to get a degree anyway, particularly in places that that cater to the idea of the capitalistic exchange. You go sit in a chair, or you go sit in front of a Zoom screen, and you do it long enough, and we'll give you something. This is, this is why the authority of really prestigious institutions, now I'm sounding elitist, because it is. Because elite learners whether they're at a community college or whether they're at Harvard, are people who genuinely want to know things and are genuinely humble enough to realize that they can be wrong, to experiment, to explore, to build their knowledge across a lifetime, and to build their practice across a lifetime. You, you, you don't want a plumber who's doing the same thing that she or he or they did 25 years ago necessarily, if there are new ways, methods, tools to address it. But that requires the authority of knowledge. So, but it, no, authority has no power, obviously, with segments of populations as a given, unless there's a force behind it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that 
you're absolutely right. The the defining what will define the answer to this question is how we determine what power is, right? Mm. You know, obviously, it seems pretty obvious that physical power isn't necessarily um, isn't necessarily it. Based off of the first example I used in our intro, right? You see, you see a, a little old person with a, a gigantic dog, right? <laughs> the dog can tear him to shreds if it wanted to, but there's something else that's giving the person authority, you know. And you know, it's it may have been physical power at some point, right? Maybe the the, the small dog was trained in such a way to be meek, and then once he grew too big to be controlled that way. There is still inside of his psychological, you know, his cognitive processes that that um, conditioning that said, okay, well, I have to act this certain way, despite the fact that the threat of the physical power is no longer there. So physical power, no, I don't think that physical power is necessary for authority. Um, but what other ways can we define power that's where it gets interesting that's right? where it gets really I'm, I'm i'm sitting here because i'm an active grandpa and and have been a parent obviously so there's this i used this earlier with a different conversation we have that this this fluctuating osmotic border that is never absolutely pin downable when one has the authority of, of being a grandparent. You know, I want my grandchild to understand danger. And you know, we talk about crosswalks and looking both ways and those kind of things. And there's there's a place at which you want the child to stop if you need to or him they to stop whatever it might be but you don't at the same time at least i don't want that child to always think that everything that i say is unquestionable because that's ridiculous <laughs> and so i want the child to push back but to push back in civil ways and when you're working with a young soul that's not always going to happen right so it is very, it, it, again, microcosm. In microcosm, that kind of relationship of parental or grandparental authority is something that can be abused, uh, wielded like a jackhammer uh, without reflection, <laughs> or it can be nurtured as, uh, yes, I know some things. I don't know everything. This is why this is important. Stop. But this is why we need to talk about X, Y, or Z. However nascent that, that very young conversation might be. So there is a power when people accept that the power exists. And the power is a complete illusion if people don't accept it. Yeah, so we have authority, power, and I think the linchpin here is relationships, right? Yeah. There's no need for authority if there's no relationships. So you have relationships, you have authority, and then power is how it plays into it really varies depending on what kind of authority or what kind of relationship there is. And, you know, so in your relationship with your granddaughter, she has power. 
of a different kind. Right? Oh, yeah. She has the power to be cute, and she probably knows how to be manipulative in this sort of way to gain some sort of power in the relationship. Learn to gain that. Yes. All right. Yes. Right. So, does that give her any kind of authority? Or does she just have a power in the relationship? She has the authority of seeing the world in a new way. And when I'm at my best, I acknowledge that because that's part of the joy of all of this. She will see things that cause me to then talk with her about them. And... And, and that can be mundane things. That can be because the the senses are so acute. We can be walking to the park and I can hear, a, and 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 I'm listening to the things. And she'll say, "What's that noise?" Well, we have bird song. We have hammering going on with people repairing a house. We have trucks and so on. And so I'll go through the litany of here's what I'm hearing. No, no, no. <laughs> There's something else. And then she'll point. You know, it'll it'll happen again, and you'll say, "Oh." That's water running underneath the road, and we're near a, a, a grating in the highway, and this is where water runs that comes out of the hills. So it's not all over the street. But a sound that I would take is just so transparent that I don't even acknowledge it. So she has the authority of fresh, freshly experiencing something. All kids do, if they're nurtured in this, to, to say, no, not that this right tell me about this mm -hmm. and then if you're honest you can say well this is what i know about this we can find out more then you're seeding that authority that you have not pretending that it's bigger than it ought to be and pointing toward let's go seek knowledge together now, i know that sounds utopian it's not always utopian but that's <laughs> yeah yeah no and i think that there's um there's there's definitely something to look at there. I think some people might say, oh, okay, well, you know, I it, I, I failed to see the authority there. But I, I kind of see it as a creative person. I think that kids are kind of creative authorities. Yes. Because, and I think that that comes back to biology, right? You look at, if you look at developmental psychology and stuff, how the brain grows, you know, they have so many neurons and stuff. And basically they can take a stimulus and rather than adults who have, you know, are neural pathways that are well-trod, myelinated, <laughs> deep, you know. Deep yeah. as the gorges of any so, park. <laughs> so we know how to connect A to B, and there's, there's a value in that. You know, mm -hmm. there's a speed, there's an authority in how we interpret information. Yes. But for kids to have a stimulus and then to be able to interpret it in any number of different ways, it allows them to see the world in a completely different way than is possible for us. And I think that as a creative person, that's something that you can, you can learn from. You can, you can seed authority to that and think, okay, well, if I'm going to write this song or paint this picture or, or write this story, yes. I, it would probably be better for it if I were to attempt to do it through the mind of a child than if I were to try to do it through the mind of, you know, uh, an adult. Mm -hmm. And even if you start thinking about emulating the masters in these different arts, you start to think, well, these people are probably closer to doing it as a child than they are, <laughs> yeah. you know, than they are as an adult. So I think that you're right. I think there is some kind of authority there. Um, but I, I think I still want to think about that question a little bit more, that mm. where power plays into this, right? So 
so we can see that, all right, I guess a child could have authority in, in certain aspects of a relationship. Does a child have power in the relationship? Um, like, I, like we were talking about, if a kid knows to be cute in order to get what they want from, from a parent, that's, is that a power without authority or is there that, still an authority? Well, that's, that's, that's the, that's the authority of intuited, even though they wouldn't be able to use the vocabulary because they don't have it, intuited psychological behavioral training. Uh, there's that, but I, but I think there's something else. A child ought, that's me, ought, I shouldn't be saying ought because it sounds moralistic. For me, a child needs to have the authority of things such as. Let's do a random example. Let's let's say that you know, adults always like to tickle kids' feet or feet or you know, under the neck or something. If a child says to you, "Don't do that," and the adult keeps doing it, that child has the authority to say, "No, I don't like that." And if an adult continues to say, well, you ought to like it because everybody likes that, then the adult is overstepping. You know, you like it. <laughs> well, I can't help but think of this Rudolph, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Rangers. <laughs> that, this goes back a ways, right? But there's there's the authority of Santa Claus saying, you can't be in my <laughs> in my team if you have an aberrant nose. There's the, the, the dad saying, I'm going to cover up your nose. You'll wear this covering and you'll like it. <laughs> you know, that, no, <laughs> sorry, no, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, it, the, and I think part of the, even though it's egregious in some ways, the, the lesson in that little piece of pop cultural fluff that keeps living <laughs> is that even Santa Claus can be wrong, especially a Santa Claus who who has the 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 authoritarian uh, he he has elves on his sleigh dropping presents he doesn't even go down the chimney he's got this whole imperialistic I'm getting off on a track <laughs> anyway <laughs> yes I think children have the authority of understanding what is comfortable to them now they don't have the authority of saying no I I don't I won't eat well they, actually they do you cannot force somebody to eat now they may eat at different times than than you do. That may not be convenient, and so you put the food b before them. But I think if you say to them, and you're not going to have any other food because you're going to eat what I tell you to, that, that can assert an authority that is not necessarily true to a biological system. You know, so all of these things are complicated. Yeah, so I guess what we're still trying to suss out is if you need power to have authority, or if, if they can exist um, independently. Well, what do, you, what do we mean by, what do you think power means? Well, that's, that's what I'm trying to figure out, right? So, like we were saying before, if a child is, is manipulative of an adult, are they just asserting the power that they have of being cute or being, you know, whatever, to get something? Or do, is there an authority in that? No, adults do the same thing. We, we are in, inveterately do this. Right. Relationships are so often transactional without us even necessarily thinking about them. And transaction applies power. You have something I want. I'll give you this. You give me that. <laughs> Whether it's in a marriage or it's in a, it's in a, a friend relationship or it's in a work relationship, we are so trained into the transactional that I think that the power 
what what's power? Power is being able to influence somebody else, either to force them to do something you want, or to coerce them into doing something you want, or to force a course toward a, a better overall. Uh, okay, so structure. yeah, okay, now yeah. we're getting somewhere. Yeah. So the key word there was influence, right? Yeah. So you need, um, you know, you have influence. Can you have authority without? influence so and i think that the example that we were talking about earlier in the show is is interesting right we're talking about scientific authority right Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. how scientific authority is being eroded because of a lack of influence pretty much right they're 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 unable to influence people now they still have authority they have knowledge authority The, the influence is being eroded but yeah the influence is being eroded so what is the relationship there? If the influence is completely eroded and nobody is paying any attention to science, period, do they still have an authority or do they just have a knowledge? Ah, well, they have an authority as long as there's another scientist who acknowledges this learning. There's another surgeon who says, yes, this is a, there's another anatomist who says, yeah, there are 204 bones in the human body. So as long as there's relationships. Yes. If there's relationships that have influence, there's authority. Yeah, I would I would take that as a working definition. Right. It took us a while to get there. But I, think that, <laughs> I think we answered some questions. <laughs> um, so that leads into the, our next question, which would be how how do we legitimize authority? Oh, well, let's take the word legitimize. If we mean normalize, which I don't think is is, is the intent, but. If there's a situation in which the expectation is that one will not push back, even though one conceivably could, but really no, one's not going to push back, then that's a legit a normalization of of an imbalance of power. That's an authoritarian regime, which then concocts its own this is really how reality is, just because I say it is. Uh, that's a normalization of the abnormal. Uh, le- legitimacy implies that a system functions, not, not perfectly, and that it can be improved. Uh, uh, but normalization is different because you can have bizarre things become yeah, a really good example of this is um, like your uh, consent agreements, right? So, um, you know, you download an update for your phone and they give you a 17-page <laughs> thing reads in six-point font, single-spaced, you know. And so everybody, without exception, except, okay, you know, maybe the, there's some lawyers out there that read through the whole thing, but almost everybody just scrolls to the bottom, hits accept, and downloads their update. Why? Why does everybody do that? Right. And so here's where we go with legitimized authority, right? And here's this has been a big topic of it in philosophy is your de facto um, authority, your tacit consent, all mm-hmm. of your different things. Mm-hmm. So, and there's been, there were some questions. This was specifically a, an issue um, of debate a couple of years ago. It kind of hit the news pretty big where people were saying that, well, this isn't legitimate because your average person who's downloading an update for their phone can't doesn't have the time to read it and even if they did couldn't understand the legalese so you can't possibly hold them accountable for agreeing to this <laughs> despite the fact that they did agree to it 
So where does that fall? How do you, is that legitimate authority or not? Do you think if you provided people with the information, even if they couldn't interpret it or didn't have the time, but you put a big button at the bottom to set agree and they hit the button to set agree, is it a legitimate authority? It, uh, yes. Because we have the agency to say no. And if we say no, then we don't get what we want. And so we say yes, because blasted, I want that new, <laughs> that new app or whatever it happens to be. So we cede our power for the transactional <laughs> momentary or extended happiness of whatever that thing is to which we have agreed. But in fact, it's legitimate because we, we say, well, we, we, we have no choice. We have to have this. No, you don't. <laughs> right? You, you really don't? So, yeah, let's let's do a theoretical then, a uh, hypothetical. Let's say you, you did need it. Let's and say it was food, done that right? Okay. <laughs> let's say it was food, right? So, we have an authoritative government. Um, there's a food shortage. They're distributing food. Oh. You have to sign a, uh, a extremely long legal agreement that, you know, you don't have time to read. You can't understand. But if you say yes to it, they give you food. Mm-hmm. Um, and this contract can include any sort of egregious violation of any privacy or terms like that, that you yeah, might imagine. Course. Right. Yeah. So is that a legitimate authority? If it's necessary for survival and they put you well, through no, these hoops. No, well, it's, 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 an, it's a, an aberrant normalcy that, that makes it necessary for survival. I would say that it's not legitimate in any moral sense because it is a life and death situation and i think there are a lot of illegitimacies that are implied in that in that model this this goes back to orwell where is the the form of torture is tell me how many fingers i'm holding up and if you don't tell me the right number of fingers after a certain amount of training then you're going to die if somebody holds up five fingers and you and says how many and they want you to say four, you eventually say four because you you actually think that you see four, you've convinced yourself of their reality. Uh, and that's an the torture is illegitimate. <laughs> so, right. As far as I'm concerned. So so yes, I think that that is. Um, but I think it is yes, the will to survive so that you can now survive so your kids can survive and maybe they can overthrow this awful government okay <laughs> in this what ifs that we're doing right so and and this is demonstrable scientifically they've they found that people who um people who lie a lot tend start to believe their their lies mm-hmm. um so you can manipulate people in this sort of way um and like you were saying i think that again we're coming in we're bringing that triangulation of authority relationships and power and i think the relation what we're talking about here is a relationship with authority where all of the power is on one end so is it the the distribution of power that makes a legitimate authority do you have to have some distribution of power in order for the authority to be legitimate (laughs) (laughs) it depends on the kind of well okay I'm, I have to, for me personally, is one thing for all of us. We're talking the, the grand scheme. The church, for a long, long time, uh, assumed and projected and demanded 
the authority of the theological above all else. To the punitive point of, if you didn't accept this, then we lock you out of heaven. Because, okay, that, I don't find that legitimate. I, I think that's ridiculous. But I, but there was certainly the power. So you're asking, ask it again. All right, so I'll ask two questions because I think that you really need to answer the two. So when we're thinking about a legitimate authority and then yeah. we're thinking about the other two legs that we talked about earlier in the show, um, if all of the power is in one side of the relationship, mm-hmm. is it possible to have legitimate authority? Or conversely, if does the type of relationship determine whether a authority is legitimate regardless of the power distribution? The type of authority is important, but if the power distribution is all in one group, exclusive of any other authoritative view, (laughs) I have to assert that. Uh, In other words, nobody well, that's not true. People want all Democrats to be in charge, or they want all Republicans to be in charge. They can't conscience the idea of somebody not Republican having power, or they or not Democrat having power. Even though being Democrat or Republican means a whole lot of things along an entire spectrum, from the absolutely egregious to the totally socially responsible. Uh, so you can have legitimacy of of the authority of knowledge in in groups and you might stumble on one person having enough but i i can't imagine that that's why an authoritarian regime doesn't doesn't work i have the way i know and i've and i've gathered up and consolidated all the military and everything else so this is how we're going to do it because i just know that this is right no human being knows everything. And so I think the very notion of that is illegitimate, which is why we don't generally support authoritarian regimes, although we come close sometimes. Yeah, so this has really important implications. I have so many things coming through my head right now. (laughs) No, me too. So we're thinking about, okay, so if we're considering a relationship to have illegitimate authority, if all of the power is on one side, Mm -hmm. that really challenges some of our social institutions now some of them like let's say a teacher in a class okay that one's not technically true right because the teacher is never going to have complete power but you can see along that spectrum um in some classes a teacher may be much more authoritative than a class and so the more power a teacher holds it changes how you view authority in the class but let's take a different example, because okay. I think this one is going to be the, the very difficult one, right? Okay. The American prison system. Mm-hmm. So one actor in this relationship has all of the power. But is that still a legitimate authority? And so hmm. I think the, the interesting philosophical question this raises, right, is you look at European criminal justice systems and these sorts of things. And they're much more based around reform, and yes. as a prison system should be, yes. which gives the prisoner the power to choose how they're rehabilitating themselves to some extent. There's obviously some, um, you know, compunctual, you know, there's things you have to do. Um, but 
there is some choice you have in the matter of how you're going to reform yourself. In the American prison system, you don't have that. You're thrown away. <laughs> you're locked up. For the most part, in about 89% of situations, it's a specific number because that's what we have for maximum security prisons. Minimum, medium security prisons, you have much more freedom, much more choice. But maximum security, which is the overwhelming proportion of prison systems, you're locked away for a number of years and you have no power. So is that a legitimate authority? I don't think so. It's been legitimated by practice. I mean, our, our prison system is a devastation. That's me, the thinking that I'm not representing anybody on that. We know that our, our prison system has disproportionately uh, targeted uh, the BIPOC community, uh, blacks, Hispanics, Latinos. We know this. We can't ignore this. And, 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 and when a prison system becomes a capitalistic priority, as in, how dare you remove a prison from our community? You're going to take away all of our jobs. Well, if all of your jobs in your community are based on how many people we can lock up, then we are ill. We have lost our way. And, and so, no, I do not find it any, in any ethical or moral sense legitimate. Has it been legitimized by legislation? Yep. But that's why it needs to be severely questioned. And this is the importance of philosophy, right? Yeah. Is this is you know we we've gone through these steps trying to s suss out what authority is and and what what its relationship is with power, what its relationship is with uh, legitimacy, and all of a sudden you start to examine the sorts of things you take for granted, and you come to some conclusions that you might not have if you didn't think about it a certain way. Um. So yeah, that's you know it's it's a wild thing to think about that. An institution like our criminal justice system, which many people have so much reverence for, it's a very good chance it might not actually be legitimate, depending on how you're defining authority. Yeah, yeah. So how do we balance freedom and authority? How do we, you know, whether it's criminal justice or politics or as a teachers whole, or in a classroom or whatever it is, right? <laughs> a child and a parent. How do you, how do you balance these things? Idealistically, you you. You acknowledge when you're you try to be at your best, and when you're at your best, you acknowledge a that you don't have the, the sources of all knowledge. You don't have the authority of all knowledge, and you can't just say, "Well, why is the sky blue, Daddy?" Because that's just not a legitimate answer. Now, I mean, you may be worn out and tired and okay, but, but if you never revisit that, you've done a disservice to that child. The balance is in the inductive taking in of observation, the acknowledgement of what is known and what comes to be known and how that could and ought to change policies. And, and never to assume that your side or your own views are always right. I mean, it's not that difficult, and yet it's the most difficult thing in the world for people. It shouldn't be that difficult, but it is. Right. What's interesting about that is, you know, 
the original question is balancing freedom and authority. And what you just described was essentially people taking away their own freedom. People like to subscribe to an authority so that in, and that authority may take away their freedoms of choice or their, their power in choosing um, how they want to do things in order to tow a party line or tow, you know, whatever, whatever the relationship is, you know, well, that, okay. So we're so talked about the social contract. We've touched on that before. The social contract is still an idea in which, which you're, you're talking about. What, what does the state owe you? What do you owe the state? We, I think we did a pretty robust discussion of that in one of our mm-hmm. sessions, which is, it's not a, nothing that we talked about. It's a one-time thing. We can go back to any of them and keep coming, uh, keep coming to, to new places. But if one accepts that the state is necessary and that personal freedom is necessary, then one needs to accept that all the things that you think that you want to assert that everybody ought to do because you think it is absolute, that has to be discussed. That has to be poked and prodded and not out of, not out of just uh, intuitive um, feeling but out of but out of knowledge as it exists and the question always should i think always should be for the the power balance is what do i want do i think that i want everybody to do that it's really not necessary in order to have a good life what what behaviors do people have that 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 i don't necessarily want to do but really it shouldn't bother me. That's their choice. And we've, we're losing that idea of choice. Mm. We're also losing the idea of acknowledging that the world is more complex than, than we want it to be. There's a, the push toward no gray areas is part of, I think, the, the problem of, of diminishing uh, the influence of authority in the classroom. Of which I can speak to with some authority. <laughs> oh, there's the authority and there's the authoritative. The authoritarian classrooms are one in which the teacher always asserts that I'm right, you will do this and do that. And, and, and you have an ideological training in a school system that says this is the way, this is the only way. You cannot uh, question back. You cannot, you cannot take another way. You will all say this uh, pledge in this certain way or whatever it happens to be. No questioning. That's devastating to the idea of of exploration, inductive learning, and developing authority. Anyone who never questions is not being a human being. We have to push back. Teachers should want students to push back, not in ways that are, I'm not talking about pushback as in, oh, I want to threaten you because I can, because I'm an American, I can threaten you. Stop it. It's, it's, I wonder why, where does that come from? Why do people think this? Can I ask that question? Yes. And here's some possibilities, but, uh, you know, we don't know for sure why people think this. On the other hand, this has been experimented with and demonstrated over and over again. It's a law of physics. Well, can a law of physics be broken? 
probably, but it hasn't been yet. And so as far as we know, this is how gravity works. That kind of exchange, rather than everybody be quiet, write down gravity works. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I think we, there, and there are many teachers who do try to teach that Socratic way, who do encourage the, the positive pushback. But systems tend to become ponderous. And you have codes of behavior that get thicker and thicker and thicker, whether it's in colleges or, or high schools or wherever it is. And, 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 and then we have homeschooling. And there are families that, are cap- that, that put together pods where people in those families have different kinds of knowledges that, that, that they develop. But if, unless you are a pod of people who have access to scientific knowledge and you acknowledge that scientific knowledge or, or medical or whatever it happens to be, you, you don't have an equal education going on. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, the American political system is just kind of the easiest example with a lot of this <laughs> stuff, right? I think that you really hit it where as time has gone on, things have gotten more and more complex and bigger. And I think that a lot of people are just like, well, let's just go back to what the, oh. the Constitution said, what the founding fathers said. But those guys got in trouble, right? Because, I mean, up until the Bill of Rights, they had no way of collecting any money or taxes and the country almost <laughs> disappeared because they couldn't defend themselves. So, you know, there is this constant, there's a constant growth, right? You have, you start be. out with something and then your authority and your knowledge and your relationships and your influence and your power all change and you develop new new knowledge is integrated out of those interactions. Ideally. Right. But uh, marvelous philosopher, uh, humanitarian Hannah Arendt, one of the things that she said quite some time ago was that, and we've done a session on this one, uh, nostalgia is what gets in the way of that very that very progress that you're talking about, that she essentially said that if you start any kind of system and you just decide that well we can ignore the bad that happened we just that that's just detritus we've we've made progress and so on you are not going to have a system that is sustainable and healthy that yeah, you have to go back and look at the awfulness and not just look at it, but to say, what are we going to do to really address that in order to make all of us have the possibility of a, a really relationships again, of, of equitable, honest relationships. But you can't just have the nostalgia as well. Yeah, we've been great from the get go, and oh, but we got better. Oh, did we? Did we never do anything wrong? Has progress always just been happening? And 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 authority of knowledge tells us no, of course not. Yeah, and what's, <laughs> you know, and you fight biology to do that because your your brain is wired in such a way where if you've survived, your brain says. Okay, well, past experiences are good because you've survived and you should be scared of anything new because you haven't tried to do that and it could kill you. So, you know, people want to continue to do things the same old way. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can see there's obviously ways that that can backfire on you. Like you, you know, like you were saying, you, if you pass school, but you know, you with a a 2.1 GPA and then you want to go to college, um, 
but you don't want to look at any of your failed classes because that's in the past, you know, or yeah. whatever, then it's not going to work out. For and, and conversely, if a, if a system, because this happens, uh, and even if it was sometimes best intent, if a system is, is constructed such that the practitioners with, within it will uh, identify a child by some behavior, characterize that child by that behavior at that moment, and thereby determine what they think is the entire future of that child, mm. causing the child to live down to those negative expectations. Then there's great damage that's done that doesn't need to be done. And so, so authority, there can be a false authority. I know what you're going to be like because I see who you are. Oh, really? So when you were a kid, are you the same person that you are now? Right. Yeah, <laughs> you, exactly. You know, have you, you, I never made any mistakes at all, did I? That's why you can follow me as a great moral example. That's crap. <laughs> and, and yet we do that. We pretend. That's, that's pretend knowledge. And, and, and true authoritative, not authoritarian, authoritative knowledge says, do we know that psychologically? Of course we don't know that. And do, what do we know about best ways to help a child? And some go bad. Some human beings go bad. But not the numbers that we like to pretend do all that as if it's just somehow going to automatically happen. No, we make it happen. Right. Yeah, you know, and... and I think that you're you're pointing out exactly what we talked about. You know, if you if you judge a whole ch a child or you diagnose a child at a, a snapshot in time, you're not taking into account the relationships that are changing, the influences that are changing, the knowledge that's changing, all those different things. Um, so yeah, what I mean, what we what we've discovered is that authority um, is very complex. There's a bunch of different things that play into it, and that those things are constantly evolving. And, um, you know, how we view it is, is, uh, something that we have to re-examine regularly, you know? All right. This has been a great episode. Thanks for being back in the studio, Norm. And, uh, to be here. we'll, uh, we'll talk again soon until next time. Keep pondering.